Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Clues. Underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the, the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc. You don't know what to expect. But now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies. And now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and <laughs> my... Um, <laughs> which is not what this uh, ad is about. But I am also wearing the super soft, sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband. Mm. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, MeUndies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash roses. That's meundies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort. From the outside in. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yeah. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes. I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, The Bachelor? Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will mm. sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral Sleepy Girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knutson crushes only 100% real ingredients, 
so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues, and as you know, there was no Bachelor last night, so today we have something very special instead. This is not a recap. This is a segment where we talk to some people and we drag them down into the bottom of the pit with us. This is... Welcome to the pit. With us today are two very special guests, icons in the foundational era of Bachelor journalism and criticism, formerly the voices behind the groundbreaking Huffington Post Bachelor podcast, Here to Make Friends, as well as the minds behind some of the most important think pieces about our beloved game, now writers at large for all kinds of outlets, including MSNBC and hosts of their own massively successful podcast. Love to see it. Please welcome Claire Fallon and Emma Gray. Wow. Thank you for having us. That this is such an honor. Thank you so much. Good morning. Yeah. Are you awake yet? <laughs> we are now. Nothing feels more appropriate than discussing our beloved game on MLK Day. You know, I think we're really just this is how he wanted the day to be observed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is what he would want. So I'm glad. Glad we could do this. The true meaning of the holiday. <laughs> Claire. You have 7,802 followers. This puts you at 332 on the all-time leaderboard. This is right between Anthony Battle from season 13 of Bachelorette and Alex Dillon, the sloth, from season 23 of Bachelor. (laughs) How do you feel? This is humiliating. Um, (laughs) I don't feel great about those numbers, but um, I accept them. Well, Emma, you're a little bit higher up on the chart, you have 17.4 thousand Instagram followers, which puts you at number 275 on the leaderboard, right between Katie Levins from season 17 of The Bachelor and Lauren Barr from season 20. I think I know the second name. <laughs> there were two Lauren B's on season 20, right? Was that so? Was that the, was that the one who self eliminated? I think so, yeah. Could have been, yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's the name I know vaguely. The other one, yeah. No idea. <laughs> Look. Right. We're, we know we don't rival the big players in this game. <laughs> These are your new targets. That's right. These are who you're trying to beat now to climb the ladder to dominance. So thank you guys for joining us. We just like to get that out of the way and talk about where we are in this ranking. Because as you know, we view it as a sport and Instagram numbers are kind of how we gauge uh, where you are in that sport. But usually in Digging Deepers, we like to start at the very beginning with whoever we're talking to and figure out what made you the person you are now who is doing this for a job? So where did each of you grow up and what kind of things were you watching when you were kids? Um, I can start. Uh, I am from South Bend, Indiana. Um, I was born in 1988 in, in that city and I grew up mostly not allowed to watch very much TV. Um, I had kind of a low TV household. My dad is an academic. He's an English professor. Mm-hmm. He met my mom in grad school for English. So there was like a high emphasis on reading in our household. And 
So until I would say I was like 16, I wasn't really able to watch TV without oversight. So when I was really young, I was watching like PBS, you know, I was watching Wishbone. I was watching Square One. I was watching Mr. Rogers. Um, I wasn't even really allowed to watch Sesame Street that much because they thought it was too fast paced. Um, (laughs) I had like very intense parents in that way. And so I was reading a lot of like Agatha Christie and YA and like stuff like that. I Uh cleaned out like our whole YA section at the library. Um, But then I got a little bit older and like staying up later and was able to sneak around, watch Seinfeld reruns. Watch Sesame Street. (laughs) Watch Sesame Street. Watch things that were on like maybe after my dad was asleep, you know. So late night Seinfeld reruns, eventually some teen soaps. I watched One Tree Hill. and. Yeah, so I like pretty minimal TV as a kid, and there are like massive gaps in my pop culture knowledge as a result. And that's why you now talk about it full time for a job. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone was like, we need your perspective on this. Are you a permanent disappointment to your parents because of this? Uh, uh, I mean, they would, n- my dad would never say that. So my mom, my mom passed away when I was a kid, um, and my dad, will make the comments occasionally. It's like, I like when you write about books. Mm-hmm. Like, because I also have written a lot about books professionally. He's like, I love when you write about literary fiction. Like, are you going to be doing more of that? Or is it just, you're really focused on the Bachelor <laughs> podcast these days, huh? And I'm like, well, that's what they pay me for. So, But does he not see it in that you are approaching it from an academic viewpoint. It's not like you're just doing a frivolous Bachelor podcast. I mean, really, you guys are looking at it as like how it sits in American pop culture, what its effect is, kind of similar to what we do. And I feel there are some other podcasts in that arena too. But like, I don't feel what you're doing is frivolous at all. I think you are doing academic work. Yeah, I think that, that, you know, my dad tries to understand and be supportive. Like he knows that I'm not just like a fangirl. He knows that I'm... Mm -hmm providing a critical lens, but it's just so different from like, we never had the bachelor on in our household. And sure, like he studies from an academic perspective, John Milton. So, you know, he's like, there are a lot of things you can study from an academic perspective, you know? Yeah. Mike Fleiss is the modern day John Milton, I would say. The poetry of the 18th century, for example. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try that line on him at the next uh, Christmas gathering and see how that goes over. Fantastic. Emma, what about you? Where are you from? Were you allowed to watch Sesame Street? I was. I was. Sesame Street was quite formative. And I actually named um, my childhood dog after a puppy that Burton Ernie got. Mm. named Norman. Um, My parents were really (laughs) confused when I was certain I wanted to name our puppy Norman. They were like, where did she get this name? But turns out (laughs) Sesame Street. So that's the danger of letting your child watch Sesame Street, Claire. I was going to say, like, they don't know the things that are being funneled into your young forming brain. Yeah, it's it's very damaging. Yeah, and Big Bird getting vaccinated, not doing his own research. (laughs) Right, like, just get on Facebook, find out for yourself. That's what I always say. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. I was uh, an, an 87 baby. Um, and I, my household was not a no TV household, but we were a no cable household. So mm. my TV watching mm. was limited mostly to network TV, except when I would go over to my friends' houses. And then I would get bits and pieces of like MTV and stuff. But it was a lot of PBS. I was a huge Ghostwriter fan. 
And mm. then very into Wishbone when I was super little, Sesame Street, Reading Rainbow, um, Shining Time Station, that type of thing. And then when I got older, I devoured every WB teen drama. I mean, Charmed, mm. Buffy, One Tree Hill, Felicity, loved Felicity. Felicity's so good. <laughs> yeah, Gilmore Girls. And I guess the other form of TV would be like the reruns that were on when I got home from school, when I got a little older and could just like turn on the TV at like 3 p.m. And that was a lot of like home improvement, um, Mm. the occasional Golden Girls, Who's the Boss. So I got sort of a a foundation from there, but definitely had, had some cable TV gaps. And what was the first reality TV show either one of you saw? Probably the first season of Survivor for me, maybe, was the first one I sort of followed. And then I definitely had an awareness of the real world, but again, like, didn't have cable, so didn't really watch. Mm -hmm. And then would occasionally, when I would go to Friends, see those early dating shows, like, Next. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That that was my answer. I was like, like, because... Parental control. (laughs) Because of, like, the... The, the spotty way that I watched most TV, it was really like late night episodes of like Blind Date, which would run on like network TV. Oh my God. That show was fantastic. Oh my God. Yes. My sixth grade teacher was on that show. My sixth grade teacher met his wife on that show and was very drunk. <laughs> and everyone in my class watched it. <laughs> and And they got married? Yeah. That's insane. Jesus Christ. Wow. Is that Blind Date's like only success story? I'm so (laughs) impressed that he was able to do that. Probably. Yeah. I'm not sure how much of a success it would be. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a success for Blind Date. I mean, yeah, it's they were like one episode at a time dating shows like that. And then I think the first full season of reality show that I watched was probably when I first started watching The Bachelor, which was much later. And what was that? What was both of your first seasons of Our Beloved Game? My first season was Brad Womack's second season. Season um, 15. Which, yeah, whenever I reveal that, I feel like I sound deranged. Like, why would you start with Brad Womack's second season? But it was because... I had just moved into a studio apartment and I had a lot of time by myself. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I need to to get something up on Hulu that will make me feel like there is human energy in my apartment while I, (laughs) you know, sweep the floor and dust the cornices or whatever. And that's how I started watching The Bachelor was as background noise. So the first human energy that was pumped out into your new place (laughs) was Brad Womack's second attempt at finding love on reality television. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The sexiest bachelor. He's Claire's companion. Don't make fun. It created very weird expectations for me. I was like, I Mm -hmm. guess The Bachelor just has a therapist who's part of the show. Like, that's an integral part of the show. And, like, women come up and are just, like, really mad at him and slap him on the face. And I don't really understand what The Bachelor is supposed to be a represent, but that's that's my understanding moving forward. And no other season of The Bachelor has ever been. <laughs> no, it hasn't. That therapy thing <laughs> is never before or since. And I don't know if we'll ever see it again, but it was uh, pretty fascinating. It was used for Burning Love, which the, the incredible oh, right, right. parody show uh-huh. uh, starring Ken Marino. 
But even that therapist, at least in my memory of watching it, the therapist seemed to be on the take from the show. Like they were using the therapist to further narrative points. They would like the therapist would get him to talk about something that would then be like what he has to overcome on a one on one date or a group date or whatever later, you know, that is a compromised therapist right there. <laughs> they all are. They truly were probably <laughs> just like we can just have Chris Harrison do the stuff that we're having the therapist do going forward. Yes. Yeah, they're like, we don't need yeah. someone with an actual like degree. <laughs> yes. Who needs that? That's not what we're doing here. Yeah. I started even a little after <laughs> after Claire did. Um, oh, wow. I like was in and out of Ashley Hebert's season of The Bachelorette. And then mm. I really started with Ben Flanick. Season 20. Season of mm. The Bachelor because I had a good friend from work who convinced me to come to a watch party. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, this is like, you know, The Bachelor is one of those shows that I think as a kid, I was like, I'm not the kind of girl who, like, watches that. Like, no. I'm smart. Um, But then, of course, I got sucked in, and now it's my entire life. So joke's on me, really. (laughs) We all start out so cocky. Joke's on all of us. But that season was obviously... I mean, that's a... I would say if that's your first season you're basically hooked for the rest of your life because of Courtney Robertson. Watching her oh my play God. the game is something we will probably never... I, I hesitate to say never see again because I do think a very trained player could do something like what she did. But that was just... It was unbelievable to watch that. An open player playing an open game, saying it every step of the way, and wins the whole goddamn thing because her first audience game is so strong. It is one of the greatest seasons of all time, hands down. So good. So good. And yeah, I I have been hooked ever since. So did you catch the Ashley Hebert episode when they roast her? Uh, Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. That scene traumatized me. I remember. (laughs) I think it traumatized her as well. Oh, my God. I need to watch this season. I actually skipped that season. That was the first season, the last season that I didn't watch, I think. They roasted her? A lot of them do jokes about how she has small boobs. It's like a theme. Because that was the season with, like, William Holman and Kirk, like, people who ended up on Paradise later. Bentley as well. Oh, Bentley. Forgot about him. Yeah, I was I was in and out, but I do remember. I remember Casey, obviously. Oh, yes. <laughs> the tattoo. Garden Protect. That's iconic. Yeah, he got a tattoo. And wasn't he like left on an iceberg or something on the two on one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Someone yelled guide and protect your heart in a in a in Matt James's season. One of the commentators screamed that out. And I was like, this is a joke for like, me and Emma. <laughs> Emma had to, like, when that came up last in the state, she had to, like, explain to me what, what it was a reference to. I explained it to Chad <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, so, growing up, w- you're starting to dabble in these shows. Do you remember what your first social media accounts were? MySpace. Ooh. MySpace. Nice. Yeah. I, was, I was familiar with MySpace, but I don't think I ever actually had one and I'm wondering if live journal counts because I was a big live journal girl Mm -hmm. in high school and that was my big social media uh account and then you know Facebook Mm -hmm. really just opened up to high school students at around the time that that I was starting college so that was my next for live journal is that your friends reading what you're writing like a blog yeah I think that like it was technically some of my entries were public but like no one would have gone to my account. So it was really just my friends 
reading it. And mm-hmm. also I would make private entries where I would pay, copy paste like aim chat logs with like my crushes Ooh. and stuff. And like, mm-hmm. so I would just have them. Like I used it also as kind of like a private scrapbook. So it was like this very motley assortment of posts for my friends and attempts to be kind of artsy and like write about the weather or something. And then like private posts full of personal embarrassing memories. I would love to read those. I recently found a bunch of printed out aim chats from when I was young. Oh my God. I was like, oh God. I was going to say, I used to print mine out too. (laughs) Mortifying. That's incredible. God. I, I really view those early social media platforms as kind of like the Mesopotamian ruins to the New York City that is coming or the Dubai that's coming, I guess is probably more accurate. We're somewhere around Cleveland right now with TikTok and stuff, I would say. (laughs) But eventually we're going to have these giant shining digital cities. So did you guys go to college? Where did you go? What did you study? We already know that your parents, uh, Claire, were gigantic academics and hate everything that you do. And was Bachelor a part of your experience during college at all? Um, So I went to college. I went to Princeton. I didn't really watch much TV in college. I didn't have a TV. Um, That was the era where online streaming was sort of starting to be a thing. Like I would watch like episodes of The Mm. Office and that sort of thing. But anything like resembling live TV, I didn't have much access to in college. So it was mostly just like literal DVD and streaming episodes of sitcoms during my relaxation time. I went to McGill in Montreal. So hopped over to Canada. Yeah. And I, um, after a gap year, so I lived abroad for a year after high school, deferred, and then went to McGill. And I also did not watch The Bachelor when I was there. Um, I watched like Skins, the UK version, and Mm. Lost. That was Lost was like the appointment television of me and my friends. Yes. During college. I agree. Lost was a big one. I, I, I didn't really keep up with any of the appointment TV type shows, but The the Bachelor, I don't remember even really being talked about anywhere yeah. around me, but it was Grey's Anatomy mm. and Lost that like mm. girls would have like group hangs to yeah. watch those shows. But the, reality TV was almost non-existent. Some American Idol, I would hear people keeping up with mm. that or like Survivor, but I never heard about The Bachelor. Emma, where did you do a gap year? Um, I, I lived in Israel for the year doing oh, like nice. coexistence work and teaching English in a development town. Wow. That's cool. That is. Very noble. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I fucked around for a year and got a break and it was it was really nice and I didn't have to live in the U.S. for five straight years and that was cool. What? And The Bachelor wasn't a big part of that experience for you? <laughs> I know. Well, it's so weird because like my internet access wasn't, I didn't even have great internet access. I think I like had MySpace because I couldn't yet get onto mm. my Facebook because I had deferred and you mm. still couldn't get on Facebook until you were had a college email. Yeah. So I remember like one person on my program got their college email early and got on Facebook and everyone was like <laughs> so jealous. <laughs> it was really a different world. After college, you guys eventually both wind up at Huffington Post. Is that where you met? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And how did you come to that job? Like what was the the basic road for each of you to that job? I mean, we were really young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was 
when I started at HuffPost as an intern, I had been in New York for almost a year after graduation trying to break into book publishing um, mm. and considering mm. applying to grad school. My older brother was in grad school for English, um, which I also wanted to do. But I was hearing like rumblings that it was like a really bad way to get a job was to get a PhD in English and try to be an academic. So he... <laughs> You're hearing rumblings from who? This is your dad just being like, don't do what I've done. From him, from all of my like college <laughs> advisors, from my dad, from like everyone I knew who they were all like men who are professors and they were like, but you probably don't want to be one. Um, so I was like, no, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to apply to grad school. My brother was like, all right, I'm in town. Come out to dinner with me and my friend, who's uh, a woman with similar interests as you. She's in my program. So I went out to dinner with them. Also, there was her boyfriend who ran the HuffPost blog team. And I did not get convinced to go to grad school, but I chatted a lot with this guy. And he was like, you seem... <laughs> You seem like an intelligent person who desperately needs a job other than seasonal shifts at J. Crew, which is what I was doing at the time. So, like, why don't you, like, come work on the blog team as an intern? And I did and then just kind of got my hooks in and stayed for a decade. You seem like you had a very active live journal. You'd be perfect for a blog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was like, I've seen your work and I'm convinced. <laughs> Um, I had also been in New York for about a year when mm. I started at HuffPost. I started in the spring of 2011. I was like, what year? I don't even remember. We both started at like exactly the same time almost. Yeah, yeah we started at almost the same time, but on different teams. I had been working a pretty crappy um, contract job for a hyper-local news site called Patch <laughs> that was owned for AOL, owned by AOL at the time. And I was like basically writing glorified business listings. And like everyone had a writing background. Everyone was young and low-key miserable. And then when I was working there and really trying to get out, it had been like eight months, um, AOL acquired HuffPost and they started hiring so I started apply. I was applying everywhere, and I applied to a job on the health team at HuffPost, and uh, got hired as an assistant editor. Yeah, and the rest Whoa. is history. You you rapidly nice. rose to over seventeen thousand Instagram <laughs> followers. Well, that was the goal. Yeah. yeah, not that I had an Instagram account when I started at HuffPost. <laughs> so, how long was it between this? your start and becoming the go-to writers to cover The Bachelor at HuffPost. Did you have to convince anyone this topic was worth covering at all or? So, yeah, I covered it first because mm. as I said, I had been convinced by another colleague to go to a watch party. And the tenor of conversation around the show at that time was this like, it was very basic and it was this kind of shock that why are all these women who are ostensibly smart and not regressive watching this show that is has fundamentally mm. very regressive? Um, and so mm. I had moved over to the women's team by that point in 2012. And my editor at the time was like, why don't you, this seems like a thing people are talking about. Why don't you just try to write an essay about it? So I wrote an essay, and at the bottom of that essay, I think it was a big slideshow time in digital media. <laughs> and mm -hmm. we did a slideshow of people's tweets. Um, and 
the essay did really well on social. And my editor was like, why don't you just try to write recaps of this upcoming season? I think maybe it was Sean Lowe's. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing recaps and I was like, this seems like a thing people are talking about on social media. So I'm also going to do a slideshow every week with like the best funny snarky tweets about Mm -hmm. the show. Um, And so... Yeah, it sort of snowballed from there. I did that for a couple of years. And then in 2016, they started this baby pilot podcast program at at HuffPost. And Claire, at the time, was a prolific Bachelor tweeter. Yeah, you would not Mm. know it now because now I, like, would rather die than tweet about The Bachelor. Um, But I was tweeting a lot at the time. And they were trying to encourage everyone to pitch podcasts and I was on the books team. So mm-hmm. I kept hearing like, why don't you pitch a books podcast? And I was like, I don't really want to do a books podcast, um, but I would love to do a bachelor podcast. And I bet people would actually definitely listen to that, even if we're bad at it, <laughs> because right. such is the thirst for bachelor yeah. content. And so that's what we <laughs> went with. And our producer saw the same potential that we did for a lot of listenership. Yeah. Was that both of your first podcasts? Yes. Yes. We had yeah. n- zero experience. I mean, if you go back and listen to our first episodes, you can really tell that it's our first time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's bad. Same with ours. <laughs> yeah. But that was way back. That was Caitlin and Britt's season. So feels like a feels like a long, long time ago. And yeah. most of your family and friends at this point had to have known that you were at least writing about The Bachelor. And they felt however they felt about that. We know your dad probably not happy, but it's a different level. I feel like at least for me personally, it's a different level of familial shame when you tell someone you're doing a Bachelor (laughs) podcast. Oh, yeah. Did you experience this at all? What were your friends and family's reactions to when you're like, well, I'm doing a Bachelor podcast now? I mean, I feel like I experienced the most shame when I I was trying to date (laughs) during many Mm -hmm. years of of those, those first years of having the podcast. And it was just like, you know, you go on a date and someone's like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, yes, yes, I'm a reporter at HuffPost. And and I have this like this podcast, you know, what's it about? <laughs> oh, it's a feminist podcast about The Bachelor. It's fine. Yeah, that's really hot, right? You you want to yeah. listen to it, definitely. <laughs> Straight men love that, um, I've found. <laughs> <laughs> that's our biggest demographic, straight men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely... I, I think that <sighs> Emma and I have both written the piece. I think that there was like a whole generation of women in our sort of demographic who work in media writing the piece that's like, I'm a feminist and I still watch The Bachelor yep. because we both mm-hmm. had so many colleagues and friends and relatives be like, wait, you watched The Bachelor? Like, why? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, I thought you were smart. Like, I thought you mm-hmm. were interesting. I mm-hmm. thought you had principles. And So there was a huge amount of defensiveness. At the same time, I don't think that it was as um, off-putting to people at the time as it might be now to say just that we were starting a podcast. Because now I feel Mm. like there's that thing that's like, you're starting a podcast? Like, how many more podcasts can there possibly be in this world? And we were, like, there were fewer podcasts back then. So in that sense, we were lucky. Yeah, there were very few Bachelor podcasts. Part of the reason we started it is because we both listened to the right reasons um, mm. at Grant mm. over at Grantland, and they would cover The Bachelor, but they also covered a ton of other reality shows. And we were like, but what if 
you like just talked about The Bachelor. And now that we're doing two hour long recaps. So yeah, we really <laughs> did this to ourselves. When we first started, we were doing one episode a week that was about three hours long. It included a recap, sometimes an interview, all of our like covering the parasocial plays. I was making music to lay under the entire three hours every week. It was just like mm -hmm. for wow. us anyway, in that early phase of this, it was like pure experimentation. We were just like seeing what worked and how can we cut this up and what are the segments and all that. Um, I had done a little podcasting before, but nothing at this level. Like I was editing everything, producing everything, making all of our little sound effects. That's so impressive. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Call it what you want. I, I view it as like <laughs> maybe an illness, but... No, I mean that genuinely. I only taught myself to, to edit audio recently because when we were at HuffPost, everything was done in-house. So that is... I know how much effort that takes. Yeah, I still have no idea. <laughs> Before the podcasting, though, you guys write, you both have written incredible articles about our beloved game while you were there. Some of what we believe to be some of the most important things being written about the show in all of Bachelor coverage world, in our opinion. Uh, you talked about race, gender representation, all of the stuff you just don't see in Us Weekly and People. But do you know which of the articles gained the biggest traction? What were some of your favorite ones to work on? Mm, I don't, you know, that's a good question. It all seems really long ago now. That's a bad answer. But um, <laughs> I would say that, like, when we did, like, reporting that often, like, people want to see information that they haven't seen. So whether it's, like, Garrett, Aragorn's mm. Instagram likes or whether mm -hmm. it's, uh, sexual assault allegations like people want to know new information so that always got a big response I think for us on a personal level it was always more important to be providing some of the analysis week to week so I remember writing a lot of on Ben Higgins season about Jubilee and how she was treated in the house and that mm. is something mm -hmm. that always stands out to me in in hindsight that like it seemed like no one was in the mainstream discussion around the show was was noticing what was happening to her. Yeah. And so it was important to us that we covered it. Watching that back is yeah. pretty horrifying. Oh, it's it's brutal. <laughs> yeah. And it was barely discussed, I feel like, at the time. Like, I don't know. Um, but again, it all feels really long ago. Yeah. I don't know, Emma. I know. I was like trying to remember what we've <laughs> written about. Yeah. The things that come to mind are, like Claire said, probably our reporting on, yeah, on Garrett's mm. likes. And then also more recently um, on the sexual assault allegations against Easy, and mm -hmm. um, specifically because the accuser had attempted to get in contact with production. So I think that sort of often that sort of reporting felt always important to us, like what is actually going on behind the scenes in terms of the way that the responsibility that um, production is or is not taking for the behavior of the people that they're giving this massive platform to. And putting in that situation as well. I mean, just right. even beyond the platform, it's like they pick whoever those 30 to 35 players are and they throw them in this situation, which is designed to make them have heightened emotional responses and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And it's like, at least in my opinion, only one of two things can be true. The producers know that certain people have done certain things in their past and might be more likely to react in a certain way, or they don't know. 
Either way, very bad producing. One is malicious, one is inept. They are one of two of those things, you know? And I think you're reporting specifically on that. We debate maliciousness versus ineptitude a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a fine line. <laughs> yeah. I always think malicious. I'm like, well... <laughs> so since you guys started doing your podcast and have been in this world writing these articles and stuff, has your relationship with Bachelor Nation at large changed at all over time? Because you've now met players and stuff and... I'm, I assume that has some effect on you. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. When we started, you know, we had never been like reporters on The Bachelor in such a way that we would have even really interviewed anyone on the show until we started the podcast. So we were pretty... Um, and we didn't know if anyone would be listening, you know, yeah. also, to be clear. So, like, you know, there's a freedom about the way that you mock people and make judgments um, that over time you start to meet people. You see, you know, we became friends with Olivia after she came off of her season and saw how different she was than what she was portrayed as being on the show. And we started mm -hmm. to see a fair amount of of that in the people that we met and so there's like two sides to that. One is that like you get, you know, you get tentative. Like you, you're like, these are all human people and they're so nice. So like suddenly you're couching everything you say and um, not being as sharp yeah. as you'd like to be. But the flip side is it actually does sharpen your understanding of production and, and the control that they have over the situation. So it's been sort of like for me as an analyst, kind of a blessing and a curse to know more people in Bachelor mm -hmm. Nation. I couldn't agree more. I feel the exact same way. Yeah, because you want to maintain a distance when you're, you know, a critical voice. Obviously, you guys um, are, are the same way. Uh, and yet, understanding how the sausage is made does make you able to, I think, give greater insight at times. Um, I think we've sort of more recently tried to be more intentional about maintaining that distance. Whereas at the beginning, we were really throwing shit at the wall. We didn't know what was going to stick. And so, and and also, you know, contestants were, players were far more willing to just sort of be like, fuck it and come on our podcast and, and say <laughs> things. And now that the machine has gotten... Um, much more professionalized. I think it's been good for us to really be clear about our role as as critics. I also think that the conversation ab around the show has changed so much since we started podcasting and also the intensity of conversation around our own commentary. <laughs> And so figuring mm -hmm. out how to navigate that relationship with people who listen to our show and might disagree with something that we say or when we might step in it or when we mm -hmm. might miss something, like that has definitely really changed um, our relationship to, to the franchise as well. It's also recognizing the role that, that we have in the machine. Like we're, mm -hmm. not, we're not completely separate from like no one in the audience is um it's the fourth audience we right, determine right. how much money these people make this is the only sport in the world where we the audience put that number next to their head and that number is their salary football baseball yeah. basketball hockey all of their salaries are determined by whatever their objective stats are and how much money they can get from a team which is given by an owner these are like very business decisions this game is not like that at all 
I, that to me, that's one of the most fascinating parts of it is our role in shaping it. And it means we're like critics and then also complicit, which is an odd. Right. Yep. Well, and it also means that like we are as like particularly like influential or like platform holding members of the fourth audience. Like we are people that they are very consciously having to game or or, yes. or handle mm-hmm. in a certain way in order to. For their own professional success and like that makes a lot of sense and like they should um but it also like colors the relationship and maybe even more so than it did five years ago when the idea that that was a professional career was only beginning to kind of emerge mm-hmm. um, right. right and so now we're encountering these people they're they're you know looking at it like how do we go through this podcast experience and like get what we need out of it for our professional health? And like, it's just a much more, yeah, fleshed out apparatus and we're part of it. Totally. I I feel the exact same way. And I would even go further than saying like they have to, you know, play you guys however they're going to play you when they come on your podcast. Just the things you're talking about on your podcast influence how the show gets made, how it's cast, all of that. I mean, we t- we came on your show last week and talked about how I'm like coaching players that are currently in the game. I have a direct effect on what is now happening in the document. And I think stuff like that from kind of this tier that we are all a part of, of Bachelor coverage, I think that's only going to keep happening more and more in the coming years, especially because we now have this other tier of podcasts that is the company podcast, all the Warner Brothers podcasts. Mm-hmm. We're talking about clickbait. We're talking about happy hour talking it out to some degree, although it's really happy hour and clickbait are the ones that promote the Warner Brothers line, whatever they're trying to get out there. And we just had last week, grocery store Joe kind of got mad and was talking about some podcasts out there that treat it like a game. And yeah, he's like, we are a fucking Warner Brothers show. That's what this is. He's like getting kind of heated about it. And he's not saying Game of Roses directly, but he's talking to us. So we're now in this weird situation where like, are we their enemy? Like he seems to be coming at us a little bit. And it's like, we're just talking about what's happening. You know, I'm not casting any dispersion on grocery store. Joe. In fact, he's the greatest night one player of all time. Like I, I admire everything he has done in this game. It's unreal what he's been able to accomplish. But you know, there's, there's this weird thing that this division that now exists where like some players must tow that four TR line that it's only about finding love and that is it. And anybody who thinks anything different is a complete asshole. Meanwhile, you've got 1.1 million Instagram followers and you're getting paid whatever you're getting paid to do this podcast every week and selling out your sauce every week, et cetera, et cetera. So that to me is an interesting part of it as well. Being on the other side of this, that it's like, we're just people who watch this show and talk about it, but we do have some influence over it now. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. 
Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. If you have sensitive skin, you're going to want to hear about One Skin's scientifically proven topical supplements. This is face, eye, body, shield, and it can all be used with any of their other products, which are free from over 1,500 chemicals and preservatives that can make skin red, irritated, or itchy. Their products are safe for sensitive skin. It's just one of the reasons they've earned the Skin Safe seal of approval. You got to keep that skin glowing if you want to be keeping up the level of face play that I've got going on. And One Skin was founded by an all-woman team of scientists. Their products are backed by extensive lab and clinical data to validate their efficacy and safety on all skin types. Uh, Their topical supplements are the easiest way to keep your skin healthy and hydrated without the harsh ingredients or irritation found in other skincare products often. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code ROSES at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code ROSES. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support Gore and tell them that we sent you. Clues. Underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc. You don't know what to expect. But now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies. And now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and <laughs> my... Um, <laughs> which is not what this uh, ad is about. But I am also wearing the super soft, sustainable modal fabric thong with no rollback waistband. Mm. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, Me Undies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com roses. That's meundies.com roses for 20% off plus free shipping. Meundies. Comfort. From the outside in. Yeah, Yeah. and I think we talked about this when Grocery Store Joe and (laughs) Brendan and Piper had Mm. their kind of confrontation on the beach. And there was this conversation on Paradise Mm. about how, you know, it's wrong to come on for Instagram followers. And here's clips of Brendan Piper talking about how they're coming on for Instagram followers. And Grocery Store Joe stands against that. And you know, like we can watch and enjoy knowing that this is all kind of a game, but it's in the interest of like the show itself to maintain the fiction. So they're just like out here enforcing. They're like, we've got to like 
check hard when someone like seems to be threatening the the conceit of the show. Yes. Right. There are certain boundaries that must not be violated. And now there are people who are involved at sort of every level of that apparatus to enforce those boundaries. And it's fascinating that clearly Warner Brothers saw this podcast ecosystem developing and they can't control podcasts that aren't on their payroll, right? And it's obviously very appealing to be able to funnel people into interviews on podcasts where they Mm -hmm. do have control over the narrative that's being put out. Um, And it's been fascinating to like enter the podcast world before that existed and see how much things have changed uh, over the last few years. Completely. But also I think in terms of it really is the shows or or production or ABC, all the entities that are involved in creating The Bachelor, I think, it really is about them trying to control social media and its role in what reality television is. And I don't know if it's because they are afraid of it or they are too old to understand it, but they're getting it wrong 100% of the time. And so when you have things like the uh, Marias James incident, and even to some degree the Conran Milne incident, which followed closely on the heels of that in season seven, and both of those were kind of about Connor and Milne, I guess, were a little more about a pre-plan coming into paradise and how you can't do that. It's a cardinal sin. Marais and James had a little bit of that, but also they openly talked about Instagram followers and they used that as kind of like, this is why you must be kicked off the island. And to not embrace it, to not openly at this point acknowledge, yes, everyone comes on The Bachelor to get social media following. They be, they come on the show to become influencers. Maybe they'll fall in love. Maybe they won't. But that's the primary reason they're all coming on. To not acknowledge that, you are starting to go into bizarro land. It is 100%. None of the show is believable to me at this point. It's all pro wrestling. And I think if you embraced the social media elements of it a little harder, or just were a little more honest about it, it would be a better version of itself. This is just my two cents, though. Yeah, I doubt they're gonna. I doubt they're gonna take that <laughs> little piece of advice anytime soon. Yeah. I think that they no. see their fate. Understandably, like I think that I get like their fate is very tied to this huge half of the audience or a chunk of the audience that's like, mm-hmm. I want to see normal people like me fall in love mm-hmm. and really, you know, <laughs> believe kind of that that's what's happening. And like, it is like a part of what's happening. Um, and that's the part that the company is going to want to hang on to because otherwise they might just let that whole chunk of the audience go. You guys were talking earlier about, you know, getting feedback from what we call the fourth audience, like the people who are watching The Bachelor. Has your relationship with that, with the audience changed since you started doing it? Yeah, I mean, when we were first starting, we didn't have much of an audience ourselves. Like we had no idea what we were doing. We had no idea if anyone was ever going to listen. And then organically over years, we turned out people were listening. And when you cultivate an audience of really smart, thoughtful, opinionated people, they are going to reach out to you. And I think something I didn't realize when I started podcasting but should have because I was a podcast listener, um, is how Mm -hmm. intimate the medium is and how much people feel that they know you and that you are almost a a friend to them. And 
So there's a feeling almost of betrayal or or like a great disappointment that people can feel if we if they feel that we have you know not said the thing that they'd expect us to or not handled something in the way that they would have hoped we would and um as as a fundamentally sensitive person I think Claire is as well uh, we've had to grapple with that and and figure out ways to draw mm-hmm. some boundaries yeah. around that in yeah. order to yeah maintain our mental health. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah. I think also like the thing that you were saying about how social media kind of threatens the show's approach also made me think about how it affects us, which is like once the show could basically frame an incident however they wanted and like maybe people would disagree or there would be like a think piece that was like that was wrong. But like there was no easy way for people to like rise up and just like rage at how fucked up they thought it was. And now that happens mm-hmm. about stuff that happens on the show all mm-hmm. the time. Constantly. And like yeah. and when we started, that was nascent. So, you know, yes. we had that power too to be like on our show, we are going to frame everything the way we want. We are going to diagnose the parts of the show that that we see as issues and people are going to come and listen or they're not. And now people can like, are like, oh, I can DM them and tell them exactly how full of it I think they are. Like, oh, I see tweets saying that <laughs> mm-hmm. that take is yeah. wrong. And so I have the power of knowing that there is a movement. Of, like when we taped our episode about Greg um, and the Greg incident on Katie's season, mm-hmm. um, the big fight that they have, You know, that was an incident that once could have been framed one way by the show and talked about one way by us. And that would have maybe kind of been the end of it for us. But it became this huge social media conflagration that, like, involved a lot of anger on many sides in many directions, directed at many different people. And that was something that I don't think even at that point we anticipated how intense that could be because it keeps getting more intense. Yeah. I think, too, it's like just even villainy within the game for whatever reason. In some cases, it is something that a player does that seems like morally objectionable. In some cases, it's just bad gameplay or whatever, you know, 4TWR type stuff. Whatever the case, as soon as you get a villain edit now, you're destroyed. You're getting death threats from people within the fourth audience. That, I, to my knowledge, didn't used to happen. Guaranteed death threats. Yeah, like Corinne Olympios has 700 and some thousand Instagram followers. She was a villain on that season. People loved her you know that isn't the case now and i think that there's there is something i agree with you about social media that parasocial relationship essentially is what you're talking about and you guys now have that with your audience we have it with ours anybody has it with anyone like i have it with every bachelor player because i'm watching all of their stories all the time you know (laughs) you mean our friends (laughs) my best friends (laughs) yeah i mean my best friends (laughs) the ones who tell me all of my life advice uh I do listen to Jason Tardick for financial stuff. Anyways. <laughs> I do need a financial advisor. So thank you for that. No, but I think that, that that element of this, where we are now living in a world where all of our, uh, at least our, our most numerous relationships are parasocial. That's that's the most common relationship all of us have with anyone, whether it's a podcast you're listening to, bachelor players, whoever you're looking at on Instagram, you're watching them talk to you through these screens. You do feel like you know them. And so I do think that it's exactly what you're saying. You'll go with Adrian. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm familiar. <laughs> and it is like it can feel like a betrayal if one of these people says something that, you know, doesn't 
fit exactly with how you thought they would say it or what you think the nature of that relationship is. It's a, yeah. a strange time we're living through and, and we've been trying to navigate that to some degree as well. I am also very sensitive. So the, the direct <laughs> feedback of the audience has the, I've had to look at that a lot and set boundaries, et cetera. Yeah. Emma is like such a champ. She she does our, our most of our social media and I just like don't look at oh. DMs and I know I should and I just like, I can't bring myself to do it. And so Emma fields them. I don't look at them either. <laughs> I'm like, I'd rather that we none of us ever look at DMs than that I ever have to look at them. Um, and no, I just do the cruel thing w- where I get upset personally and then I like feel the need to bring Claire into it. And so I'll like screenshot oh, it and be like, no. make me feel better about this, this thing that someone said. And, and, and then we'll both be like crying in our respective kitchens at 9 p.m. on a Tuesday, like while I'm trying to make pasta. And- yeah, both of our partners will be like, what, like, Oh, someone said, criticized you in your Instagram DM, like, calm down. A stranger with no picture has <laughs> criticized you? Yeah. Yes, and it's ruined my week. What do you, yeah. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, I booked an extra therapy session. Uh, I think what my husband would love is if all of us got on, like, a, created a Bachelor podcasting emotional support group <laughs> so that he did not have to be personally involved every time this happened. <laughs> Just an idea. <laughs> Well, I was running our social media and we hired Grace Ann Parks and it has changed my life for what it's worth. Oh, that sounds like a really interesting idea. We're going to have to look. <laughs> Speaking of changing our lives, we do a thing on our show that we call Screams from the Pit, which is, I don't know if you guys know, the pit is kind of our metaphorical term to represent a life that has been consumed by this show. I think we're very deep. We've yeah, uh, yes. we live there. I think you are as well. So we we talk every week, once a week, I should say, about something that happened in the course of our life, in the course of that week, as a result of our extreme fandom or something we did in service of it that is like surprising to us. Like we've gone even a step further into the depths of the pit. Do you guys have anything like that? Is there something you've done that you're like, I can't believe this is literally what I'm doing right now or something that happened to you as a result of what you do for The Bachelor? Dad did one I noted earlier in this conversation, which is taking his financial advice from Jason Carter. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a scream. That's just sound business. I just note them. I'm like, okay, you can use that as your scream this week. I'll I'll give you another. What my personal favorite scream that I've ever had came from in the beginning of the pandemic. I was trying to find uh, 30 pound dumbbells to start like working out in my house. Couldn't find them anywhere. They were sold out, sold out, sold out. My Instagram feed is all Bachelor players. And I scroll through, scroll through, and I see there is somebody just has a whole thing full of weights in their backyard. It's Blake Ellerby, uh, the foil to Waboom's kind of crazy <laughs> villain edit on that season of Bachelorette. He's a personal trainer out here in LA. I DM him. I love some of those 30-pound dumbbells. I go to this man's house. I pay him $120, I think, and leave with these 30-pound dumbbells from Blake Ellerby, a player of The Bachelor. Wow. So now it's both exercise equipment and show memorabilia. <laughs> exactly. So it's yeah. really a, such a bargain. Yeah. yeah. Such a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Two for the price of one. Yeah. Oh, he also bought a painting from the sloth. Wait. <laughs> I saw that she did a painting and I just DM'd her and said, I'd love to buy this. And so I did. And I now have it. God, I'm like racking my brain now. Honestly, like. There are worse ways to launch an art career than by painting something for the lead on screen. Um, I think that, like, I try to maintain some some boundaries um, because 
Otherwise, I get very sad and very depressed. But one thing that I did do, this was premiere night, actually. I was live reacting to the premiere. My son was slumbering peacefully next door when the fire alarm started going off. It turned out there was smoke coming out of our basement. The fire department was there. And I was texting my husband, like, do we have to leave, though? Like, can I stay up here? <laughs> like, I was continuing. Like, my <laughs> our building is on fire. And, like, my son is in his bedroom. And I'm like, I think that I can get a few more nice <laughs> tweets off, though. And he was like, you need to leave our apartment right now and come outside. Like, I'm sorry. Like, That's a great one. <laughs> the good thing is that you actually translated that into content. Um, uh, and Claire simultaneously was reacting to the premiere and giving all of us as a gift updates on on the fire in the basement. So I felt like it was a two for one. I was like, I know she's safe. Um, her child, Max, is alive. But Jesus also, Christ. you know, Clayton still has a square jaw. This is why I stopped live tweeting. It's just not healthy for me. Never again. That yeah. was the last time. Wow, that's a great one. Yeah, That's a very dark scream from the pit. Uh, I mean, I don't have any that are like life threatening. It was just our hot water heater that had exploded. Everything was fine. Have you ever bought Spawn Con from a bachelor person? That's one I did. I bought a ring wash that Serena P was, uh, she was like, it's $30 soap that also cleans your ring. And yes, I bought $30 hand soap. It's fine. I don't know that I've ever actually, I've bought SpawnCon from a former Hills star, mm. uh, a pair mm. of jeans, mm -hmm. which I actually happen to be wearing right now. But I don't know if I've ever bought SpawnCon from a bachelor person. I've definitely gone down a big rabbit hole of like looking at every item on, uh, Lauren Burnham's like terrible clothing line, like Shades, Shades of, of Rose. Rose. Oh, oh my yeah. god! I I was like, should like should I buy this blazer? Like, no, Emma, <laughs> no. What what are you doing? Yes, you should. You should buy the entire collection and wear only that. <laughs> yeah, I'll wear only that and tag it. That would be dark. Does the fact that we we once ended up, uh, this is an old scream, which is the fact that we once ended up um, having a 90-minute conversation with Chris Souls and the pig farmer that won the, like, pork meat or, like, pig farmer of the year award in, like, Yes. Does that count? We need we need some more context, though. Yeah. Yeah. We were in like a several hour conversation um, on a podcast. And we, it's the only time we recorded a podcast and did not run it because it was. Yeah. Why? But so Crystal was touring like to as like the celebrity to get attention for the Pig Farming Association. <laughs> yeah. And we were like, we will have you oh on God. our podcast. That's like. But we're not going to interview the farmer because we do a bachelor podcast. We said that. And then they showed up and they were like, here's the pig farmer. They were like, here he is. Like, you're not going to you're not going to reject him to his face. Right. And so yeah. we were like, great. So Richard. <laughs> How does, it, how does it feel to be pig farmer of the year? Yeah, how'd you get involved in pig farming? And then, of course, Chris Souls has, like, nothing interesting to say. So we were right. like, what are we doing? Yeah, we were like, we'll cut around it and just, like, cut the pig farmer out. But then, like, Chris said nothing. So then it was just, like, two hours later. And we were just trying desperately to think of more questions for this pig farmer who had a lot more to say <laughs> than Chris Souls. <laughs> 
Um, he seemed like a great guy, honestly. He seemed really nice. <laughs> you should have gotten into politics with the pig farmer. That would have been interesting. <laughs> we would have ended up in a... I'm sure in a really dark screaming match and our producer would have been like, we have to cut all of this. Yeah. But these are the kind of things that have led us to set more personal boundaries for what we're willing to do. Yeah, exactly. Do you guys think anybody from the show, we we debate this constantly, will ever become like a super mainstream celebrity that has virtually nothing to do with The Bachelor anymore like Jennifer Hudson did on American Idol. Is anybody ever going to win an Oscar, a Grammy, get their own sitcom, anything like that, do you think? I mean, this is tough because, like, unlike American Idol, there's no, like, talent portion of The Bachelor. So there's no particular reason that any of them should be exceptionally good at anything in particular. Being hot. Being hot. But there have been some people who have become famous hosts, like, in other genres, Mm. like Jillian... Harris, right, mm-hmm. now has like her own kind of lifestyle influencing and hosting stuff going on. But I just don't see a rich well of like future Oscar winners coming up. I would think yeah. we're looking more at like the kind of power influencer who is like so famous that you know that everyone follows them, even if you're not entirely, if you're not really familiar with The Bachelor. Like a Gigi Hadid type of figure. Yeah, I I agree. I don't I don't see an Oscar winner, but I do see some like really famous hosts and like people with their own successful, mm-hmm. maybe perhaps home and and lifestyle brands that I could see yeah. transcending the Bachelor audience. Do you guys see an Oscar winner coming down the pike for Bachelor Nation? Nick Vial, <laughs> what are you laughing at? You've seen Nick's movie. Like I say this with love. But I have seen Nick's movie. <laughs> we would say that to Nick's face. <laughs> Jared Iaconetti. He also is a fantastically uh, trained actor. No, I don't think anybody's going to win an Oscar necessarily. But I agree with what you're saying. There's there's the possibility of like a power influencer, which I would say has is like 10 million followers or so. Mm-hmm. We've seen nothing close to that yet. Hannah Brown at 2.6 million is the highest Instagram follower we've seen. But also, d- does Instagram even matter anymore? TikTok is definitely now the more influential, the better platform. I was going to ask you guys, are you like reevaluating how you chart this stuff now that TikTok has sort of overtaken? Yes. We're going to start covering TikTok very soon. I mean, we have to cover both, unfortunately. It's just going to be double the work. Yeah. Because Instagram isn't like dead exactly. It just isn't like important in terms of influence, I think, Mm -hmm. anymore. It's, it's, It's more like a... It's just kind of a raw number that we can throw out. But the TikTok number is the one where I think like true money is made. Yeah, that's so that's the irritating thing about this game is it like keeps evolving. It's like if like the NFL was suddenly <laughs> like we've added a totally new scoring parameter and it's just going to create a separate score. And it's based on how many steps you run every game or something. And like you have to keep track of both of them. There's some new data metric that comes out in sports every year. It comes down to the number on the scoreboard, though. Sure, sure, sure. As does this. I mean, technically... Two numbers on two scoreboards. (laughs) Exactly. There's five scoreboards. This is why we love this game. There's 127 scoreboards. Each one of them had their own metrics. It's impossible to keep track of who's winning. (laughs) I'm just resentful that this game is requiring me to acquire new skills in order to keep up with it. Yeah. Yeah. I would never have gone on TikTok. Like, it's an in dignity that I have to be, you know, involved in TikTok um, because it's a lot of effort. I'm willing to lurk on TikTok, but I do not want to make TikToks. Oh, I love lurking. <laughs> I love lurking, but I've I, I've recently I've recently decided that I need to like 
really try to make the occasional yes. TikTok mm-hmm. to understand it so I don't feel like such an old. And it's just a lot of effort. Yeah. Look, I got news for you. Every generation basically has its own social media platform. It's almost like a language that that generation speaks to itself. Millennials are Instagram. Instagram. My generation, Gen X, is Facebook. Sad to say it. And <laughs> uh, TikTok is Gen Z. Gen Alpha is nipping at their heels. There's going to be a new thing that comes out very soon. It could be something in a metaverse. And oh. you're going to have to know that, too, if you want to be part of that world. And by that world, I mean the <laughs> I contemporary world of humanity. I, I know. it's It just requires a lot of effort. Um, and I resent that I'm aging, is, is what I'm saying. As do we all. I literally, as you said, metaverse was like gazing hopefully out of the window. Like, maybe I'll just jump. Like, I, I'm not getting involved in any kind of metaverse. <laughs> And yet you have a toddler who's he's going to be like all in the metaverse. When will your child get his first cell phone account? When will you allow this? Uh, you know, <laughs> when I think about that, I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that I got one when I was like 17. That seems like a good age. Damn, 17. (laughs) Yeah, hold off for 17. I don't know if that's going to work. I didn't have a smartphone until I was a year out of college. So when I moved to New York, I used to have to write down directions to everywhere I was going to go on index cards. Claire, this is the reason that I got a smartphone because I lived in New York and I would literally be like in Chinatown calling my mother being like, can you look up what these streets are on Google Maps if you're at the computer. And I was like, okay, I got to get an iPhone. See, if I did that to my dad, he would have been like, that's it, you're moving home. Like, you can't handle New York. So I had to do the note card thing. I think that my son, when he's 17, should get one of those brick uh, cell phones with no internet uh-huh. or keyboard. And right. we'll take it from there. It worked for me. Yeah, Max is going to be an, an, a forced Luddite. That's going to work very well. I just I just draw the line at VR. I'm not going to be giving like a seven-year-old like VR capabilities. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, he's going to go to his friend's house to spend the night and they're going to have it. And then you're not going to be able to stop him from that. You can't let him have friends. You got to keep him at home all the time. If genetics <laughs> hold true, that may just happen naturally. You know, like who knows? No. Oh my <laughs> you're like you'll get a cell phone and your first friend oh my god where do you both think that social media is headed oh god after this conversation uh feeling very dark about it i mean i do think that instagram is going to continue to like facebook just have a lot of power in its cohort like a lot of mommy influencing and a lot of Mm. lifestyle influencing for millennials um and then TikTok, likewise, for the younger generation. I just, like, can't really wrap my head around how the metaverse would would integrate with Bachelor Nation. Is it, would it be, like, oh. different, like, people, like, in their little oh. animal avatars sitting around a table, like, arguing about The Bachelor? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Let me paint a picture for you. Oh, God. <laughs> metaverse voice. <laughs> Your son brings home a pair of VR, not goggles, thin glasses that look nothing more than sunglasses and says, Mom, put these on to watch The Bachelor with me tonight. And you put them on and now you're not watching The Bachelor. You're in the fucking mansion. You're walking around the rooms with those players. You're a foot away from Clayton Eckert as he's telling you how much he loves pizza. I don't want that. (laughs) I need some distance. 
Oh, I don't no. want to be that that close to Clayton's cutting square jaw. I made many choices in my life to not be around ex-football players talking about their favorite foods at close proximity. And I don't want to go backwards. <laughs> I think that, like, also this doesn't account for just, like, this is mundane. But, like, I get very motion sick. And I'm like, so yeah. I'm just now, like, <laughs> like, through the mansion? Like, that sounds really, like, it's not going to work. That, that's all fixed. <laughs> you won't get motion sickness. But imagine you can be in the helicopter with Clayton. Don't worry. All the problems are fixed. <laughs> you can be on the yacht. All the problems are fine. There's no problems here. Just put on the glasses. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> Uh, we emerged 20 years later. Yeah. This is the point in the welcome to the pit that always ends up happening. Jazz <laughs> trying to get everyone in the metaverse with him. Yeah, everyone else is like, we don't see a future for social media. And he's like, let, let me explain. Let me tell you. No, it's true. There's, It's not slowing down. It's only speeding up. This is, this is why I don't like to think about it. I'm like, I'll just let it wash over me. And then, you know, yeah. I'll just, I'll follow it. But I won't I won't think too hard about where where we're headed. We don't like to be active or thoughtful participators in this culture. You know, it just we just let everything wash right over us. Yeah, that's what we recommend. Exactly. Exactly. Like who who needs critical analysis? That's how I live my life. Surrender. (laughs) When it comes to the metaverse, honestly, yes, I can't. You've already surrendered to it. You're already a part of the metaverse. This is what I think most people don't understand about it. It's just the Internet. It's like you're already on whatever social media you're on. You use it for all of your work. We're on it now as we're doing this. We're on a video call right now in all different locations recording a fucking podcast. It has us. It has us. Yes. If you had told me that five years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. Nobody even knew what Zoom was five years ago. It was Skype and Skype was shitty. I didn't know what Zoom was two years ago. Yeah, exactly. I found out on like March 7th. (laughs) (laughs) So before we go, we want to ask you one last question. This is a philosophical question. After everything we've discussed here, maybe it's an existential question, I suppose. You know, we've discussed how this show has affected our lives, everything that you guys are doing, all the great work you've been doing. But it is a problematic show. We know that. If you could press a button and erase Bachelor from the history of humanity, it will have never existed. Would you press that button? Oh, oh. That's a really good question. The amount of thought mm. both of you are putting into this is watching your faces as you're just like well, clenching your well, jaw and your eyes are rolling around. I think that like you, you, you know, it's so awful. And so like part of you is like, you got to just end it. Right. You're like, I should, maybe I should just end it, erase it, nuke it. But like something else would have emerged in its place. Oh. Better the devil you know, right? Right. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And the reality is that, like, our entire interest in this game is fundamentally because it does reflect fucked up things about the way that our culture functions and the ideals and the regressive nature of our actual society. Uh, And so I don't know how much good on the whole it would do to just nuke it like we'd be we'd be better off focusing on changing the the shitty things that that make Mm -hmm. it so shitty yeah i think that's where i land too although maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm just selfish i enjoy watching the bachelor yeah it's it's (laughs) where we land too we we think the exact same thing yeah Yeah. we answered the same way (laughs) 
I mean, it's like it's like you can't you know that maybe The Bachelor is sometimes making society worse. But do you fix society by getting rid of The Bachelor? I don't think that's true either. Right. (laughs) No, of course not. Like I said, we agree with you guys. I think it's the most accurate representation or reflection of contemporary American society that exists. I think it literally is the most important piece of media that we are generating as an American pop culture. And so for me, it's like, I want to see these things change. I want it to move into the future. And it, it really, for me, it's like any other sport. All other professional sports deal with all of this stuff too, with misogyny, racism, homophobia, all of it. And it takes years in some cases, decades in some cases, for any of that change to actually happen. But it does happen. And I think that that's like, as a fan of, I've been a fan of sports like pretty much my whole life. Now it's only The Bachelor. The other sports are like meaningless to me because I find them very boring (laughs) after really digging into The Bachelor. But I think, you know, for what it's worth, The Bachelor is more reactive to that stuff than any of those other sports are. It's not doing a great job. I'm not I'm not saying that by any means, but like it does seem like they're trying. I don't know. That's like what I hold on to late at night. (laughs) I think there is more like awareness among the audience that like it is the work of the show to deal with those things in a way Mm -hmm. that maybe isn't necessarily true of the audiences of a lot of professional sports that like a lot of the bachelor audience is like this show is about showing people behaving the way that we should or shouldn't behave in courtship and in society and you know meanwhile on the nfl it's like they're just men running into each other. Like, why are we talking Mm -hmm. about homophobia again? I don't get it. And so like the way that those social issues are like very much taxed on The Bachelor, I think makes it almost easier to have that conversation for better or worse. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, completely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us and for having these deep conversations about The Bachelor. As always, you know, your work continues to be incredibly important, I think, in what we've talked about for a long time on our show is this new emerging tier of Bachelor coverage. And I think like what you guys are doing, what we're doing, some other podcasts and stuff out there, I think it's going to continue to grow, hopefully expand with some other podcasts and stuff and other people commenting on it. But it is an honor to be able to talk to you guys because I really I, I view both of you as like foundational members of this next step in what is going to be people talking about The Bachelor. Well, that's really kind. And we really, really love what you guys are doing. And it's been truly such a treat to get to have these conversations with you. And I hope we can do it again. Thank you so much. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. 
Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist recommended. This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.